Hey everyone, welcome to That You May Know Him, a podcast where we are committed to proclaiming biblical truth that helps you know Christ better than ever before. This is Blake, and welcome back to That You May Know Him, the podcast where we are committed to proclaiming biblical truth that helps you know Christ better than ever before. Once again, I'm your host, Blake Barbera, and I'm excited to be with you today for episode 30 of the podcast, where we are, for the second week in a row, calling an audible, and we are going to talk about some of the current events that are going on not just in the world, but in our own society, and do our best to give you a biblical perspective, some biblical underpinnings so that you know how to think, how to respond, how to speak to the events that are going on, and also, perhaps the most important, how to pray for what's going on in the world. Today is Wednesday, May 26, 2021. Again, I'm your host, Blake Barbera. You're listening to the That You May Know Him podcast, and this is episode 30, an episode that we are calling From CRT to Anti-Semitism, Choose This Day Who You Will Serve. As many of you know, we've been in a series for several weeks, up until last week, on family matters. We've been talking all about family, what God thinks about family how God designed families to function, the specific individual roles that exist within families that are passed down to us from God, the roles of husband and father, the roles of wife and mother, the roles of children. It's been a great time in that series. We've delved into a lot of different parts of Scripture. We've gotten to see a lot of God's heart for family. Family is something that God invented and that God celebrates and loves. And we are going to get back to finishing up that series, I think probably next week. We only have one or at the most two more episodes to do to wrap up that series. But last week we called an audible so that we could talk here on That You May Know Him on our Wednesday program about some of the events that are going on in the world, particularly the events that are going on in the Middle East. Last week's episode was titled The Biblical Foundations for What's Happening in Israel. That was episode 29 of the show. And we try to give you, our listeners, a biblical foundation for what you're seeing happening or what you were seeing happening before your very eyes. This violence that constantly seems to be surrounding the nation of Israel. We got into some of the Old Testament prophecies about what's going to happen one day in the future, a prophecy that still has not been fulfilled, a prophecy that we and many Christians believe is speaking about the second coming of Christ, when Jerusalem will be surrounded by foreign countries and the Lord will return after a great amount of violence and travesty. Christ will return 
He will set his foot on the Mount of Olives and he will fight for Israel. It says in that same prophecy in Zechariah, he will have his holy ones at his side. For years, many Old Testament expositors thought that that was talking about angels. Many today believe that's talking about, including me, we, the church, the church of Jesus Christ. So that was a great episode. I strongly encourage you to go back and listen to it if you haven't had time. I also just want to say once more, we will finish up our episode, our series rather, on Family Matters. But I thought that there was a really important question that we needed to take the time and answer here on today's show. The question concerns, what is the difference between being pro-Israel and being pro-Black Lives Matter? So a lot of people, a lot of people who maybe don't pay as close attention or who just sort of catch headlines every now and then wonder, well, if someone is pro-Israel, if someone's worried about rising anti-Semitism, that's certainly taking place all around the world. Those must be the same people that were concerned about, quote, systemic oppression, that were supporters of the Black Lives Matter movement that really came into the mainstream last summer. That's actually not the case at all. And so today we're going to answer the question, What is the difference between being pro-Israel and being pro-BLM? And as a Christian, should I be both? Should I be pro-Black Lives Matter? Should I be pro-Israel? I think most of you who listen to the program already have a pretty good idea that I do not think it is compatible to be pro-Black Lives Matter and be a Christian. I do, however, think that as Christians, we are called very clearly to be pro-Israel. So how do we flush those two things out? That is the topic of today's episode. But before we get into that, I just want to say first, thank you to all of our listeners. Thank you to those of you who continue to listen, to share, to subscribe, to rate, review the podcast. That is hugely helpful to us. We're about five months into doing this podcast and our audience is steadily growing. It's really actually pretty exciting. The first couple months we'd put out an episode and we'd probably get 30 or 40 downloads of that episode in a week's time. For those of you that don't know, I've learned a ton about podcasting in the last six months, by the way, it's a little tough to measure the metrics, like the success of a podcast. The only way to know is based on how many people download the podcast Hypothetically, there could be a whole bunch of people that listen to a podcast that never download it. But when we first started, we were getting, you know, 30 to 40 downloads a week, and that was awesome. Well, now there's days we get 30 or 40 downloads a day. And instead of averaging maybe between 20 and 30 a week, we're averaging usually between 120 to 150 a week. That's thanks to you all, our listeners, and those who are praying for us, who are helping us who are supporting us and who are sharing the podcast. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And please continue to do so. I also have a really exciting announcement to make to all of you, our listeners this Friday, our website that you may know will be launched and there you'll be able to find everything about not only our podcast, but also our ministry. You'll be able to go there, 
Find out about who I am. Find out about that. You may know him ministries. You'll be able to get the links to all of the different podcasting apps where you can find our show. You'll be able to listen to the podcast right off the website. You'll be able to watch all of our YouTube videos, which now that the website is done, we're going to be putting a lot of focus back toward making videos and expanding our capabilities with the podcast. So that's a really exciting thing for us. You'll, you'll also be able to read devotionals and sign up to receive not only devotionals, but theological writing. Like we're going to write some of these ideas that we have out so that for people that don't have time to listen to a 45 minute episode about, for instance, why I'm pro Israel, but I don't support black lives matter. Well, they be, they'll be able to go on the website and read an article in five minutes that summarizes something like that. So that's really exciting. And for those of you that listen, I strongly encourage you, please check it out this Friday. It'll be up sometime in the morning. And please go. It'll be thatyoumayknowhim.com. Everything about our ministry, what we're doing, you can click to support us there if you so choose. It's going to be a really great thing. I've been working hard on that website, and I'm really excited about launching it. Also, this Friday, Pastor Carlos and I will be back for our What's coming now is sort of an annual every other Friday thing. That Those episodes that we do every other Friday, Watchmen, where we give sort of our Christian perspective on what's going on in the world, those have been really popular, and we get a lot of feedback on those. So we'll be doing another one of those this Friday. Also, last thing, before I get into answering the question that we're focused on in today's episode, coming shortly, we're going to start doing a short 10-minute Bible study twice a week on that you may know him. So right now, we have a podcast, this one that you're listening to that is produced and that is uploaded and released every Wednesday. It's sort of a longer, more topical type of thing where we cover a topic and I'll talk for maybe 45 minutes to an hour. Also, every other Friday, Carlos and I do a current events podcast. Well, what we're going to start doing now that the website's done, is Tuesdays and Thursdays we'll be releasing what we're going to call two for 10. We're going to study a book of the Bible at a time. We're going to go through every single verse in that book, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and it'll be two verses every episode, and every episode will be no longer than 10 minutes. So that'll be something you can just grab twice a week on your way to work or on your way home from work. I'm really excited about that. The first book that we're going to be studying, and even though they're only 10-minute episodes, it's going to take us a while because we're going to go one verse at a time. The first book we're going to be studying is the book of Revelation. I don't know exactly when we're going to launch that and start it because once we start, it's on for good, but it will be sometime in the very near future. So continue to check back for that. All right, let's get to the topic for today's episode How is it that one can be pro-Israel and not be a supporter of Black Lives Matter? As many of you know, since the events of the Middle East over the past few weeks have begun, there's been a huge spike in anti-Semitic attacks around the world. In fact, I just saw today parts of New York, the local police stations are bringing more officers, more patrol people into heavily Jewish areas because... Jews are getting attacked. If you just go to any credible website, I mean, the mainstream media, you're probably not going to see a lot of it uh, 
on CNN or MSNBC, you might. I know the New York Times just finally had an opinion piece today about anti-Semitism. The Wall Street Journal had one yesterday. But this is happening all over the world. And a lot of it is fueled by the media and by celebrities who are tweeting and hashtagging and posting their support for Palestine. Israel is often painted as an aggressive, apartheid, uh, oppressive state, which is just absolutely nuts. Uh, We're going to get into that today. But this is a real situation that's going on. There was a Jewish guy in New York last week. This is one of many stories who was just straight up like jumped by a group of guys who were uh, saying (laughs) Allah Akbar and screaming death to Jews as they were kicking and beating this guy. Luckily, the guy got away without any major issues. I think he probably fought back a little bit. But uh, I want to start by just giving you my opinion, my sort of general thesis on this topic, and then I'll get into some of the details when it comes to this issue. Supporting Israel, not being a supporter of Black Lives Matter. Here's my general statement on the issue. I do not believe, the reason that I support Israel and I do not support Black Lives Matter. I don't believe that you can be a Christian and knowingly support Black Lives Matter and know what they stand for and know what they represent and continue to be a follower of Jesus. Now, I know that's a strong statement. People are probably like, what does that mean? You can't be a follower of Jesus and support BLM. Well, it's exactly what I said. I'll explain more as we go. On the other hand, I do believe that anyone who takes the Bible seriously and anyone who is Bible saturated will not fail to realize the burden that we, the people of God, have toward Israel. Remember what Paul said to the Roman church in Romans chapter 9. Most people believe, including myself, that the church at Rome was probably a mix between Jew and Gentile believers. This is what Paul said in Romans chapter 9, verses 4 and 5 concerning the people of Israel. He said, They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. That was Romans 9, 4 through 5. I always read on this program from the English Standard Version Bible in case everyone's in case anyone's wondering. In Romans 11, 17 to 18, he says this concerning some of the unbelieving Jews who are not accepting the Messiah, but they're still Jews. And then you have Gentiles who are accepting Messiah. This is what he says to them, to the Gentiles. But if some of the branches were broken off, And you, you Gentile Christians, although a wild olive shoot were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the natural branches. If you are, remember it is not you who supports the root, but the root that supports you. He goes on in Romans eleven twenty four to say this, For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree, 
and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? What's Paul talking about? He's talking about the nation of Israel, the fact that they were the, they were the nation, they were the ethnic people that God made a covenant with. Through them came not only the scriptures, the promises, the commandments, but the Messiah himself. And if you're a Gentile who is partaking of the work of Jesus Christ, the salvation of God through his son, don't be arrogant toward a Jewish person who has not accepted the Messiah because they are, as Paul would say, a natural olive tree. They are part of the original tree. You've been added in. They're a part of it all along. (laughs) We're going to talk a lot more about this in the weeks ahead. Because not only are we going to finish our series on family matters, we're going to have a whole, at least one whole episode on something called replacement theology or supersessionism. It's not going to be just on that, but there's a whole branch of theology out there that doesn't really understand. Well, I'll just tell you, it's, it's just flat wrong. It teaches Christians to think that the church has replaced Israel. The passages I just read to you speak clearly enough in their own, on their own, that that's not a correct theology. But there's many, many more reasons that we could take you, show you and that we will show you from Scripture as to understanding how the church and Israel go together. We're going to talk all about that in the coming weeks. How should we as Christians think about Israel? But for now, I'm going to leave you with that, those passages I just read to you, and we're going to move on. So let's talk about these two issues. About four months ago, we did a segment called Critical Race Theory and the Gospel. And we answered the question, is CRT, critical race theory, compatible with Christianity? And the answer was unequivocally, no, it is not. I'm going to give you a quick recap of that. There's two primary claims that critical race theory makes. The first one is this. Everyone in the world, everyone in the world can be divided into two groups. You're either part of the oppressor group or you're part of the oppressed group. You're either in the group that has power or the group that does not have power. That's the first primary claim of critical race theory. Not only is that statement untrue, this is also the the primary claim that is driving proponents of critical race theory to become advocates for Palestine, which is a mistake, to be honest with you, but we'll get into more of that as we go on. In the situation we're in right now, you see Palestine is perceived to be the oppressed group, even though they're far and away uh, the most intolerant the more violent, the more aggressive actor in the story. The second claim of critical race theory is that those who have power always oppress those who do not have power. That is also untrue, according to Scripture. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, but when the wicked bear rule, the people mourn. That is Proverbs 29, 2. It says right there that when righteous people are in authority, the people rejoice. Oppressed people are not rejoicing. 
It's when the rick it's when the wicked people are in control. It's when wicked people have power that the people mourn. So the two primary claims of critical race theory, I pretty much just showed you how both of those are incompatible with scripture and with Christianity. The first one, everyone can be divided into two groups, is just flat ridiculous. It's all based off of intersectionality. If you are in a group that is the quote, more dominant group, the larger group in a society. For instance, if you're white, that means you're an oppressor. If you're male, that means you're an oppressor. If you're straight, that means you're an oppressor. That's what it's based off of. It's just completely ridiculous to think that. The biggest problem I have personally with critical race theory is that it removes any individuality from the story. So in critical race theory, I am an oppressor and LeBron James is oppressed. Why? Because he's black and I'm white. And proponents of critical race theory would tell you absolutely that's true. LeBron James is oppressed and I'm an oppressor. LeBron James is worth over a billion dollars. You tell me who you think is more oppressed. And I'm not claiming to be oppressed at all. Never have been, never will be. Even if I were, I would never say that I am. I would, never, I would never think of myself as oppressed. The reasons for that are, well, they're, they're actually simple. They're deep, but they're simple. It doesn't matter what men do to me. I know where I'm going. I know who saved me. I know that I have a Lord who gave his life and died in my place to set me free from sin so that I could become a slave of righteousness and live the rest of my life in relationship with my God and Father and spend eternity with Him. It doesn't matter what I go through in this life. I am not oppressed. I am eternally blessed because of Jesus Christ. So, in CRT, how does one know whether they're oppressed? Well, it's based on, like I said, the group that they're a part of. It's based on race, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation. There's something hugely wrong with this. Intersectionality a term that's used often, this seeks to measure one's level of oppression based on how many oppressed groups they belong to. So if you're a black, female, non-Christian lesbian, you are about as oppressed as it could, you could possibly be. You have a very high intersectional score. That's what intersectionality is. It measures how oppressed you are based on the groups you belong to. I... As a white, straight Christian male living in America, have the lowest intersectionality score. I am not oppressed at all, according to them. Some key themes of critical race theory. Racism is permanent, pervasive, and normal, and it is the everyday experience of people of color and is the way American society was intentionally structured Racial oppression has not disappeared. It has only evolved. So I have a neighbor who's a very, very good friend of mine, uh, old, older gentleman, a lot, a lot older than me. He's actually going to be 67 this year. Uh, this month, actually. No, no, next month. It's still May. He's going to be 67 next month. He would not agree that racism is the... Oh, I'm sorry. If I didn't say, he's, he's black. Uh, he would not agree that racism is the everyday experience of people of color. He's lived 
where I live in Durham, North Carolina, his whole life, uh, it's a mixed race town. I, I don't know actually what the demographics of my town are. I know my neighborhood is mostly black families. Um, there's a few, there's a few white families here, including my wife and I, we, we always joke when we, when we moved into the neighborhood, the neighbor, I actually joked like this with my neighbors, the neighbors all said, Oh, there goes the neighborhood. Cause this young white couple moved in and we live in a neighborhood of mostly like older African Americans, some families, but mostly like people that have grown up kids or grandkids already. Um, we love living here. It's a great place. Another uh, theme of critical race theory, interlocking systems of oppression. This is where it gets really, really hard. Even if you've held out to this point, as illogical as this sounds, and it is completely illogical, it's actually the most racist thing in the world that I can think of, critical race theory, because it bases everything off of what group you're in. So if you're white, you're just automatically an oppressor. It doesn't matter if you're the, like, doesn't matter if you have never seen another white person in your life because you grew up in the wilderness of Africa on, on the plains of, of, of the Sahara. Like it doesn't matter. You're white. You're an oppressor. You're black. You're oppressed. It's just the craziest thing in the world. Even if you've held out to this point, here's where it gets even more tough as a Christian to get on board with this. There are interlocking systems of oppression. This is a key theme for critical race theory. Racism, classism, sexism, heterosexism are all inextricably linked forms of oppression and they must be fought simultaneously. I think one of the reasons that critical race theory and Black Lives Matter are doomed to fail eventually is because they've hitched their wagon as much as there is wrong with this already, they've hitched their wagon to something that historically it just doesn't add up. You see, what you see playing out before you is this war between this woke progressive ideology that says uh, everything is allowable no matter what. Everything is fine. Everything is good. Everything is normal. And the only problem that we could possibly have in society are you people that have different morals than us, that have a moral code that we don't like or agree with. Even if we have no power to enforce our moral code, the fact that we even have it is the biggest problem for proponents of critical race theory. And so what you see happening before your very eyes is actually a clash of this ancient uh, well, yeah, we'll call it a value structure, a structure of values, this ancient Judeo-Christian set of values that we get from the Bible that values things like the nuclear family that says a family consists of a husband and a wife and then hopefully from their children. But a marriage is between a man and a woman that says uh, you know, things like, well, I, th there's all sorts of things we could get into from there, but you see the point. That's really what you see happening. The reason, man, I'm getting ahead of myself, but the reason that this massive rise in anti-Semitism is happening right now is not just because of what's happening in the Middle East. It's because God's system of values has always been attacked by the people who are against God.
and by the principalities and powers in heavenly places. Last thing, when it comes to critical race theory that I'm going to do just to recap, claims of objectivity, neutrality, universality, and colorblindness are mechanisms to, to disguise racism and oppression. So basically, understanding the experience of people of color, according to critical race theory, is critical to understanding racism. So that's why the moral authority of an oppressed person carries more weight, a quote oppressed person, than that of a non-oppressed person. So CRT has basically built itself this unpenetra unpenetratable, unpenetrable philosophy that says this is the way it is. And even if you disagree or point out massive flaws in our logic and our ideology, that's only because you're an oppressor. There's no room at all within critical race theory to be critical, to criticize, to say, hey, this part just doesn't work. This part doesn't add up. This part doesn't fit. It's funny that it's called critical race theory because in actuality, it's the most uncritical, I mean that in a good sense of the word, thing that there could be. So the only way in critical race theory that an oppressor like me a straight white male Christian can have any type of moral authority at all. The only way that my morality counts is if I surrender it to those who have more of it, surrender it to the oppressed. So basically the only way my moral authority is worth anything is if I give it up and I adopt the moral guidelines, the moral standards, the moral virtues of Oppressed people, people who are proponents of critical race theory. It's craziness. If you haven't caught on already, this is why being a supporter of critical race theory and being a Christian, all the things I just said are incompatible. Critical race theory is inherently tied to being a proponent, a supporter of gay marriage, of trans sexuality of transgenderism of anything under the sun where they say people are oppressed. We're now having things where people like pansexuals are oppressed. I want to just be able to have sex with whoever, whatever I want, whenever I want. And don't anyone ever dare tell me that there's anything wrong with it. Look in America to a large degree, you have the right to do whatever you want. But the fact that I believe that there is God's, there is a design that's given to us by God, there's a moral standard for what human sexuality is and how it is expressed, does not make me an oppressor. Far from it. In fact, according to God, the way righteous people think is in agreement with the way he thinks. So, this is why being a Christian and being a proponent of critical race theory can't can't do it. They don't go together. This is why I, as a Christian, don't support critical race theory or Black Lives Matter. This is one of the main reasons. Look, when it comes to the issues of race in this country, is there history there? Yes, there is. Is there some bad history there? There's absolutely some bad history there. 
Is it true that things don't always measure out fairly between races, between sexes, all that kind of stuff? If we're going to think in these group dynamics, yes, there is. But do I believe that's because we live in an inherently racist society that is mainly categorized and defined by systemic oppression? No, I don't buy that. I don't buy that lie. We fought a war to end slavery. Thousands and thousands of people gave their lives. One of the main reasons was for this very thing right here. Frederick Douglass, who was a great African-American advocate during the time of the Civil War, used to encourage people, the government, to live up to the standard that was set, that was passed down by our founding fathers in our founding documents, that all people are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. All people. People can tell you whatever they want. The 1619 Project people can tell you they didn't mean that. That's not what they wanted to say. They really just meant white men. But the fact of the matter is, our founding documents say, and it's what makes us unlike any other country in the history of the world, it's an amazing thing, that God has endowed every single person with inalienable rights. So let me ask you, does that sound like a country that is categorized by systemic oppression? A country that has now elected a black president and a black female vice president in two of the last three presidential cycles? I don't think so. Now, I am the first one to say there's history there. I'm the first one to say there's more work to be done. But dealing with issues of rape, but well, I will say this, it's not nearly as bad as certain people want you to think it is. A lot of what you see happening around you is a power grab. That's all it is. I'm going to say more on that in a minute. But the way you deal with issues like that, the way you deal with racism, I've said this, I've said this many times on here, is not by talking about race all the time. You see, in the Bible, the truth is, God says there's one race. There's one, actually one race of people, the human race. And there's only one thing that separates in God's economy when it comes to ethnic differences. You're either a part of the covenant people, you're either an ethnic Jew, or you're a Gentile. That's it. And in Christ, those two things are done away. If we're in Christ, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. Outside of that, it's one or the other. You're either part of the covenant because of your heritage or you're not. You can call God a racist all you want. He's not afraid of you. In fact, you're going to answer to him one day, believe it or not. If you're a Christian, I just want to ask you this. If you're a Christian and you are fighting for, you're all in on the CRT BLM issue, what are you fighting for exactly? Really, what are you fighting for? Because last time I checked, Jesus said that his followers, his, his true followers, will be hated by the world. He said that it's better, he, Jesus said it's better to be rich, uh, to be poor than to be rich. He said it's better, more blessed, to give than to receive. He says that the poor in spirit and the meek, 
shall inherit the earth and are blessed. He tells us his followers to count it all joy when we fall into trials. He said, the world hated me. Surely they will hate you. He says, some of you are even going to die for your faith in me. Don't expect the world to love you. Don't love the world or the things in the world because they corrupt you. Love me more than all that. What exactly are you fighting for? Power? Money? Because according to critical race theory, you're either an oppressed or an oppressor. You're either one or the other. So if you're, if you're buying into this and you're part of the oppressed group, what exactly is your outcome? You've already said you're either one or the other, oppressed or oppressor. So do you want to move from being an oppressed to being an oppressor? Is that what it is? That's the only conclusion that there is. No, actually, the fact of the matter is all of the CRT stuff is garbage. It's garbage. Racism is wrong. Judging someone for how they look, what cultural background, background they're from, what social class they're in, is not only wrong, it is unchristian. And the New Testament specifically tells us if you, if you look at someone who walks into your church who's dressed in fine clothes and you give them a seat of honor, and you look at someone who comes into your church who looks like they just walked in off the street and you sit them in a less honorable place, you have become judges with evil thoughts and you're guilty. I mean, the New Testament tells us this. So is racism wrong? Of course. But critical race theory is an idol. It has become an idol. And many people have departed from following Christ and they have gone and they have decided to bow at that holy high place known as critical race theory whose only outcome whose only possible outcome even if it's all true if every every theme every claim of critical race theory were true the only outcome you can get is to go from oppressed to oppressor and that's what you want if that were true you would literally be condemning yourself to eternal damnation if you believe Jesus. So Black Lives Matter is an organization that is centered around CRT. But furthermore, there's a lot more reasons why as a Christian you can't support them. First of all, as I've said, they're blatantly racist. They encourage violence as a means to get what, what they want, which is not the Jesus way regardless of what Christians have done in the past, regardless of past mistakes, that's not the Jesus way. They openly identify as Marxists. They stand against the, the quote, Western notion of the nuclear family. It's not Western, as I've said before. It comes from the very center of the world. It comes from God. It comes from God's system of values that he's passed down. God is the one who invented family. If you stand against the nuclear family, you stand against God. And as I said, they've hitched their wagon, Black Lives Matter, to the LGBTQIA plus agenda. <clears throat> Do I have anything against gay people? No. Do Christians have anything against gay people? No. Absolutely not. I don't treat anybody any differently. I don't anything like that. I just believe that human sexuality was designed to be expressed in one way. And because the church is so bought in to what we've been fed by our ever 
secular, ever increasingly secular society, we say things like, well, it's okay to be gay as long as you don't act on it. You name one other sin where we empower people to wear it as an identity. Where we say, yeah, that's just who you are. That's just who I am. That's just who God made me. I just don't act on it. When was the last time you met a born-again Christian who said, yeah, I'm just a murderer. I'm a murderer. It's just who I am. It's just how God made me. I just don't act on it. I have never heard that before because it wouldn't make any sense. We just make exceptions. The church just makes exceptions as we get more and more and more influenced by society. And Christians get more and more blind. So, uh, <laughs> got a little intense. What do we do? Uh, first of all, keep listening to people who read the Bible and start reading it for yourself. Okay, last thing I'll say about this. And then I want to talk about why I support Israel. Why I support Israel. I think ultimately, ultimately, where Black Lives Matter, I said earlier, like CRT, I might have said Black Lives Matter, where their ultimate downfall is, is that they've hitched their wagons to something that is just directly opposed to a Judeo-Christian ethic. It stands against it. But I also think something else, and this pertains exactly to what's going on in the world right now, where Black Lives Matter has come out and said, we are pro palestine We support Palestinian liberation. What does that mean? Get the Jews out of Israel and give it back to the Arabs. They say give it back to Palestine because they don't know history. There was never a Palestine, a nation called Palestine, and it never controlled Jerusalem or Israel, just so you know. But if you want more on that, listen to last week's episode. Ultimately, the downfall of Black Lives Matter will be the fact that they have decided to make themselves an enemy of Israel, of the people of Israel, and of the nation of Israel. Their hatred of the Jews will ultimately be their downfall. And make no mistake about it, if someone is an anti-Zionist, if they do not support Israel, this little group of people who just 70 years ago was almost successfully wiped off the face of the earth by white people, if they do not support Israel having a place in the world, a country of their own, they do not support... That is anti-Semitism. That is what it is. Period. End of the story. Flat out. And for those people that say, well, you if you support Israel's right to be in the land, then you should support Native Americans' right to be in the United States. Look, I, I don't know who doesn't, first of all. But second of all, that argument goes both ways. If you're like if you're one of these people that thinks like what? I don't know how you would do this. Okay, let's get all the white people and let's get them at let's like everybody leave. All if you're white, just leave America and give it all back to brown people, native people who lived here before. However that would work is if, if that's what you think, then why don't you think Israel has a right to be in the land? Why don't you think the ethnic group with the longest history, with the with some of the richest culture, 
a culture and a value system that has done more to influence society and the world than any other by far, despite the fact that they failed to have a country of their own for 2,000 years, why don't you think they have a right to be in the land? Just a question. Okay, let me talk for a minute about why I support Israel and why I as why I think all Christians should support Israel. I don't know how many of you listen to Ben Shapiro or ever watch the Ben Shapiro show. Ben Shapiro is a conservative commentator. He's become very popular in the last probably five to 10 years. Really sharp guy. I think he's one of the co-founders of the Daily Wire. It's a conservative news outlet. Ben Shapiro is an Orthodox Jew. He wears a yarmulke on his head. And with all the anti-Semitism going on in the world, yesterday he took the time in the beginning of his program to answer the question, why do you continue to wear a yarmulke? Some of the things he said, I think were very, very powerful. So I just want to tell you a few of the things that he said. First, there's a religious reason why he, he and many Jews wear yarmulkes. The religious reason is that it is a reminder at all times that God is above us. And it's belief in the promises made by God in the Bible. A yarmulke is a constant reminder that we are submitted by, submitted to God and covered by God, that he's the one who's in control, and that his promises that he made in the Bible will stand. He went on to quote Isaiah 8.10 which says, devise your strategy, but it will be thwarted. Propose your plan, but it will will not stand, for God is with us. Talking about Israel. He says that he, I'm talking about Ben Shapiro now. He, Ben, says that he believes in biblical values. He believes that biblical values are true, correct, eternal values. And then he went on to talk about the Judeo, the Judeo-Christian, how those Judeo-Christian values are the very thing that influenced the founding of the American government, the Israeli government, democracy, etc. The greatest system of government that the world has ever seen, to put it bluntly. More prosperity, more freedom for more people by far than any other society in the history of the world. He went on to say that he wears a yarmulke because he is proudly a descendant of Abraham Isaac and Jacob and of their values. He said, I am of their people and I am of their values. And if you have a problem with those values, you have a problem with the entire Judeo Christian line of values. I say all that to tell you it was, it was a really powerful, like little five minute spiel that he gave very powerful. And I think he is absolutely correct. And though some Jews Some Orthodox, conservative, religious, observant Jews wouldn't agree. If you're a Christian, I believe you have the right to say, like him, I am of their people. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is my God, and their people are my people. Because like I read to you earlier, we have been grafted into Israel. That's what Romans 9 through 11 is all about. And really, this ultimately is where the rubber meets the road when it comes to this topic. Why, how I as a Christian can support Israel and not Black Lives Matter. Why I have to. This is where the rubber meets the road. 
The ideology that is behind critical race theory and Black Lives Matter is an ideology that is threatening to destroy everything that we know, everything that we have as a society where we are free to worship God, where we are free to make choices for ourselves, free to pursue a life of goodness, of health, of prosperity, of safety for our families. But most importantly, most importantly, man, those pilgrims that sailed from Europe and landed on these shores who were looking for a place where they could worship God without being under the control, the thumb of monarchs, of oppressive rulers who tell you how and who and when to worship. It's a crazy thing about this. CRT wants to make you and I Christians who hold Judeo-Christian values, who founded a nation that is more free than any in the history of the world, out to be oppressors. And yet they tell us we don't have the right to hold our values. I mean, it's just crazy. It's crazy. Our country, our system of government is not perfect. That's for sure. But it is the best that mankind has ever come up with. Like I said, more prosperity, more freedom than any country in the history of the world. Do you know why there are Christians who know darn well that Marxism, communism, socialism, socialism always winds up in Marxism, in totalitarianism, in some form or fashion, Christians who know darn well the history of those systems, of those ideologies, and yet they still support those types of government. Do you know why there are Christians who read the Bible, who know the Bible, and yet they're still, who, who, who know history, and yet they're still socialists? I'll tell you why. Because they don't believe that sin actually corrupts. They don't believe that sin is actually a power, a disease that we, the human race, needed to be delivered from. In short, they don't believe the Bible. They might know the Bible. They might say they believe the Bible. But if they're not ignorant, if they're not stupid, and they support Marxism, and they claim to be Christian, and they know the Bible... It's because they don't believe it. Do you know why many Christians who know the Bible and are educated don't stand with Israel? Because they do not believe the Bible. That's why. There's many people who are out there marching pro-Palestine and at the same time, they're pro-LGBTQIA+. The funny thing is, is they would be killed in any country around Israel that is fighting against Israel currently, and they would be perfectly safe and perfectly free in Israel. Israel, like America, is a free country. No one is telling you what to do or what you can or can't do. You can be gay in Israel all day long. I've been there. I've seen signs for the gay pride parade in Israel, in Tel Aviv. I mean, it... This is what a Judeo-Christian worldview produced, a country that's free. Although the founding fathers did say it would only work for a moral and upright people. If the people are not moral and God-fearing, eventually it will crumble. That's probably true. 
But we as Christians don't win people. It's not of God to win people through domineering and through authoritarianism and through control. We win people through love, through the goodness of God that leads them to repentance. So to be pro-Palestine and to be be pro everything that the left is pretty much pro in this country is a total contradiction. That's how you know it's a sham. And every time you see a lefty who's talking about the oppressed people of Palestine, just remember this. The people of Palestine are not oppressed by Israel. They've been oppressed by one another for years. People in the Arab countries have been killing one another for centuries. There was a time in history when Christians went there to the Middle East and did some awful things. And there's no excuse for that. The Crusades are a stain on the history of the church. But make no mistake about it. The people in the Arab countries have been killing each other for years. But let's get one thing straight. Israel is not the aggressor or the oppressor in the Middle East. Not by a long shot. In fact, I'll tell you exactly why right now. Did you know that there are nine countries that surround Israel that are most of them heavily engaged in trying to destroy Israel, either openly or non-openly? They are Egypt, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, Iran, and Palestine. We're counting the West Bank and Gaza both. Did I add that up right? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yes. West Bank and Gaza. If we group those together as Palestine, then we got eight countries surrounding Israel currently. Do you know how many people live in those eight countries? 295 million. Do you know how many are Jews? Out of the 295 million people that live in the Muslim-occupied, Muslim-majority, Arab, Arab, I mean, these are Arab nations. They're run by Arabs, Arab governments. It, it's 100% across the board. 295 people live in those countries. Egypt, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, Iran, and Palestine. Of those 295 million, there are a whopping 8,000 414 Jewish people living there in those countries. 8,400 are in one country. And everyone in the mainstream media and all the celebrities, all the stupid celebrities that we listen to, because there are gods in this country, will tell you that Israel is an aggressive, oppressive, apartheid state that is oppressing Muslim people and Palestinians, and it is a total sham. Do you know how many Arabs live in Israel in that tiny little country surrounded by her enemies? Israel has a total of 9 million people in its population that live in the country. You know how many are Arab? Almost 2 million. Over 20%. In the In the Muslim countries surrounding Israel, it's a tiny, tiny 0.00, 8,400 out of 295 million. In Israel, over 20% of the people that live there are Arab, most identifying as Muslim, proponents of Islam. And yet, 
hey, yeah, with, with the right to do whatever they want, worship however they want. Go to the mosque. Go to the Dome of the Rock. Celebrate Ramadan. Do all of it. And yet, people would have you believe that Israel is an aggressive, oppressive state. People like Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar, who come from Muslim countries, and they want to act like they're some sort of noble justice warriors and want to tell us about how evil our countries are, while they supposedly stand for things that would get them killed in their countries. They probably don't really stand for them, but they want to get votes. That's the truth of the matter. Give me a break. Give me a break. It is completely ridiculous. You cannot be pro-everything. You cannot be pro-everything that the left in this country stands for and be pro-Palestine. It is a sham, and it doesn't work. Palestine and the majority Muslim countries are some of the most intolerant places in the world. What we have here in America, in large part, thanks to our Judeo-Christian heritage, is a country where people are allowed to make choices, to live in freedom, to worship God, to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of property, and to defend themselves against enemies foreign and domestic. What our founding fathers actually wanted us to defend ourselves from the most was tyrannical governments that tell us what we can and can't do and what we can and cannot believe. But the even bigger issue than all of this and the reason that I stand with Israel is because of Scripture. Because in Genesis 12, 3, God made a covenant with a man named Abraham. And he said to that man, I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And in you, in you, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. You know what that means? That means that from you is coming the Christ, the son of the living God, who will be the savior, the Messiah, the Mashiach, as they say in Hebrew, of the world. But, but I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. Last week, I read, we read a lot from from a prophecy in Zechariah. We talked all about how when the end of the world, like when the end times come, we talked about actually that exact phrase, when the end, end times come, the time leading up to Christ's return, the period known as the great tribulation or the big trouble, when all those things that God tells us in scripture begin to take place, the events leading up to the return of Christ, the nations of the world will gather around Jerusalem to destroy her, to take out Israel. If you didn't hear that, again, go back and listen to last week's episode. It's Zechariah chapters 12 through 14. It's a whole prophecy that is mostly all about the return of Christ. We know that because it talks about the Lord returning right in the middle of the prophecy. The Lord setting his foot on the Mount of Olives. That's the place where Jesus ascended into heaven. It's the place he told his disciples, I will return here just as you saw me go. 
It talks about the Jews that are remaining, the one-third of the people of Israel who will not be cut off because of their unbelief during this time period will look on him who they have pierced and they will mourn as one mourns for an only child. It's a sad moment, but it's a sad moment that leads to deliverance. A third of the people of Israel will see their Messiah and they will know this is our Messiah. They'll be saved. You know why they'll, they'll be saved? Because it says in Matthew 24 and Luke 21 and Mark 13 that during that time, the church, we, the followers of Jesus, his disciples, he told them during that time, you will be hated by all nations. But the gospel will be preached to all nations at the same time. So isn't it amazing that at the end of time, at the, during the, the seven years that lead up to the return of Christ, when things are as worse, as bad on planet earth as they have ever been or ever will be, God tells us that the nations will surround Israel to destroy her, that the church will be simultaneously, the Christians will be hated by all nations, and yet a third of the people of Israel will be saved. And people of every nation will be saved. Isn't that amazing? It sure sounds like the church and Israel have something in common. Whether the the people of Israel now realize it or not, they will. And the reason that we as Christians stand for Israel is because we believe in the promises of God that he made to us them. It tells us, like I said in Romans 9, that we are now a part of Israel. Not necessarily ethnic Israel, but spiritual Israel. We have been grafted into Israel. Last thing I'll say, in the heart of that prophecy that I covered a lot more in depth last week, the prophecy that is surely about the return of Christ that fits like a hand in a glove with everything we read about the return of Christ in the New Testament. This is what it says in Zechariah 14, verses 12 through 13, about those who oppose Israel during that time, about those who oppose the people of God. My wife and I were reading this this morning, and we both went, man, that's you know, we've read it a lot, but man... It still sends chills down your spine, as it should. This is what the Lord says, Zechariah 14, 12 to 13. And this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the peoples that wage war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they are still standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets and their tongues will rot in their mouths. And on that day, a great panic from the Lord shall fall on them so that each will seize the hand of another and the hand of the one will be raised against the hand of another. This will be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the peoples that wage war against Jerusalem. My friends, when it comes to what's happening in the world today, be biblical. Don't follow the crowd. It is high time 
if there's any hope for our society. My hope's not in our society. My hope's in Jesus. But boy, do I pray for America. I love America, and I hope America goes on, and I hope the people of God in this country rise up. But it is high time that Christians stop following the crowd. Stop following the crowd. And if your church is critical race theory, if your pastor is not being honest about these things, isn't telling you what the Bible says about Israel, be, be sharp, be diligent, be wise as a serpent and innocent as a dove. Pay attention to what's going on around you. Continue to pray not only for Israel, but for the souls of everybody on planet Earth. Preach the gospel. Share the word with people. Christ is coming back. And when he comes back, he wants to find servants who have been doing exactly what they were supposed to be doing. Not servants who are sleeping. Not servants who are getting drunk. Servants who are doing the work that he left for us to do. And my friends, part of that, part of that entails loving and praying for and interceding for not just the people of the world and their salvation, but the people of Israel. I think we've given enough scripture in today's episode to show you that that is absolutely, absolutely a biblical mandate for those of us who are living on planet Earth today. My friends, that is all the time we have for this week. I hope it's been a blessing to you. I hope it's been educational. I hope you've gotten a lot out of today's episode. This was episode 30 of That You May Know Him. We were talking about critical race theory and anti-Semitism. It's actually called From Critical Race Theory to Anti-Semitism. Choose this day who you will serve. My friends, serve God. Serve God. Stand with Israel. Don't be a proponent of critical race theory. Certainly don't be racist and stand against that evil, wicked thing called racism everywhere you see it. But don't give in to the power struggle that's being waged in this country. Give glory to God. We'll be back on Friday, Pastor Carlos and I, for Watchmen Part 4. We're going to give you some specific headlines that have happened over the last two weeks and give you some Christian perspective on what's going on in the world also, just a reminder, on Friday, our website, thatyoumayknowhim.com, will be live. I hope you'll take the time to check it out. I'm your host, Blake Barbera, signing off for today. This has been really great. Thanks for listening. Stay blessed, live loved, and I'll talk to you next week, well, and on Friday. I'll talk to you next time on That You May Know. God bless. him podcast is produced by that you may know him ministries durham north carolina 
you can visit our website at thatyoumayknowhim.com. Oh, 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 oh,